I'm Ray Hudson, and you are, I don't know who you are, but you're listening to Blaugranagram. Don't be like them kids in the Blair Witch Project, and go away, right? Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Driven Shot Podcast. This is Season 2, Episode 13. I'm Omar Hawash, and here with me I've got Joab. How are you doing? How are you doing? Hi, it's been a while. Yeah, it's been a little, a little bit while, but good to be back. Yeah, definitely good to be back. Um, as you might have known, we did not uh, do this last week. We we're taking a brief break, uh, probably for personal reasons. But uh, we're back, and we're back in action. And, of course, we will be doing these every single week. So do keep in mind, of course, that uh, these do come up every week, every Monday, and they will also be available on your favorite podcast streaming platform, whether that's uh, Podbean, Spotify, Google, or Apple Podcasts. It's all going to be there if you do not have the time to tune in right now uh, and watch this till the end. If you do, however, do remember that you can always submit your questions, thoughts, and opinions down below. We will deal with them as the episode goes on. Um, so, Joav, back from the international break, Barcelona, of course, playing tonight against Real Valladolid, um, an encounter that could give Barcelona very much an advantage when it comes to the La Liga standings, of course. Should they win this, only one point away from first place, uh, first place Atleti, uh, who slipped up against Sevilla yesterday. How do you think that uh, that looks for Barcelona? Well, I'd like to say that Barcelona really just have their future in their own hands. They depend only on themselves and what they can do today. Um, but it has been the case in several games so far this season where actually Barcelona have had uh, been at a point where they can actually win and cut off some points from the leader, but they eventually tie or lose. So let's hope that that kind of mentality doesn't show up today. And really, um, Guaman uh, sends in a team that can actually win this and not just go for a draw or, well, lose against Valladolid. No, for sure, for sure. And I think uh, looking at the recent form for Barcelona, looking at how they've been playing and the, the spirit in and, in and around the club has been really, really positive. And you can see it in the players. You can see it in the team. They're all fighting for each other. They're playing like a unit, which is something that, Donald Koeman has been really good in instilling into the team, coming in and taking over uh, a team that, uh, you know, did have some players that maybe were a bit past their prime. He introduced some youngsters, even from uh, the B team, of course, with with players like Oscar Mingueza. We've seen Ronald Araujo also get uh, more than than a fair shot and has definitely proved worthy of that. Um, I think he's been really good at introducing these youngsters at a good pace and not giving them too much pressure at once. And I think that also definitely plays a part in the mentality of the team and the energy you'll see because, of course, naturally speaking, the youngsters do have a bit more energy. Um, and, and that's definitely come to the fore. And I think if Barcelona can keep their form going that they've been showing recently and even some of their players have showcased in the international break, if they can keep this form going, I, I, I mean, it's theirs to lose at this point, really. Yeah, I mean, completely agree with you. And also... Well, for, the, for those that couldn't actually see or uh, didn't catch what Roland Coleman was saying on press conference yesterday, he said that he was going to play Lionel Messi and Frankie de Jong. They are actually, if they see a yellow card today, they would lose. Uh, well, they could not compete next match that is actually a Clásico against Real Madrid. So that really shows the importance of La Liga right now for Ronald Coleman. We have to remember, um, Barcelona were knocked out of Champions League. So basically, it's all down to... Uh, La Liga and La Copa del Rey, which we are already in the final. So La Liga is right now the trophy to compete for. And for sure. Well, I mean, if Barca comp- uh, continue this 18 match without a loss, without losing, 
it actually be another really great record for Ronald Coleman. 19 matches without losing in La Liga is, is well, since December. Yeah, this, it's a really a record that speaks for itself. Yeah, it is. It's, that's, a, that's a very impressive record to hold. And I mean, especially you look at how, uh, you know, obviously the, the, the general circumstances with the lockdowns and with the pandemic, and that definitely does play a role. And I think for some players as well, both in and outside of Barcelona, I think that's definitely played a role uh, both mentally and physically. I mean, we've seen a lot of players around the world, really, uh, with more injuries than they maybe usually would have. Uh, and I think some of it also may be down to just mental fatigue uh, of, of not being able to live your normal life outside of, of, uh, of football, whether that's with your near ones or with your friends or, or whatever that may be. And I think that also plays a part and and you know, looking at how things have been going for Barcelona, they've been really good at coping with that, I think. Yep. As you said, um, some players that you wouldn't really think about getting injured in the past. I mean, the one that really comes to mind for me is uh, Robert Lewandowski, mm -hmm. just like this bull of physical strength. And he went down during the international break. And I mean, we have to say, I mean, they're, they're humans at the end of the day. And yeah. also they play, well, they play the game for a living, but they also play at a very, very high level. They train at a very high level, especially under a fleek that we know basically transformed them a very in a very physical form. But mm -hmm. I mean, they do get injured. And I mean, that's something that, well, has pained Barcelona's defense a bit, but also at the same time, the midfield has really been up, uh, up to the challenge as well as the attack. So, I mean, it's a really good pace for Barcelona right now to face this uh, this ending of the season in such a good fashion. No, for sure. And I think, I mean, not to, to look back, because obviously it's easy enough to say stuff in hindsight, but if you look at the, the league standings for Barcelona earlier in the season where they were, around, where they were eighth in the table at one point, um, to think that they're now genuinely competing uh, for the title with players like Sergio Dest, who... He's, he's just joined, you know, uh, in, the, in the summer. And, and a lot of these new names coming in, or even names like Antoine Griezmann, who's been there for a while, but now starting to find his footing. And you see players like that and players like Pedri, who's just come in and already making an impact. And it's, it's really beautiful. It's wonderful to see that type of impact in a team. And it feels like slowly but surely things are, you know, they're getting there. They're getting to that stage where – they feel like they have a solid team all across the board. Um, and I, you know, I think, I think for some people, obviously the, the elephant in the room would be that the defense could use a bit of a lift up because of the fatigue and because of the fact that some players are aging and because of the fact that we, you know, Barcelona don't have many defenders at their disposal. Um, but, you know, looking away from that, and looking f at how the team has been playing, even with the lack of natural center backs or experienced center backs, um, it's been going really well. Yeah, I mean, completely. We've only got, um, well, I mean, the only, the team has only got up to go because downwards, I don't think Ronald Koeman will let them get down. And especially if Barcelona actually get good signings or reinforce the team as they should, well, especially now with Laporta, we know that we won't have that more, well, much more deals that could actually be shady or we could actually question why they brought out one a certain player. But, I mean, we've only got the, well, the sky's the limit for this team right now. So let's hope that they can actually face it with that same yeah. potential. 
Yeah, no, I mean, as you said, uh, the, the team definitely right now has a lot of potential. And, it, it, you know, as you said, the sky's the limit. I think this team right now, as it is, definitely can compete for La Liga. Definitely, I, I, I genuinely do believe that there is a good chance that Barcelona can win the La Liga title and the Copa del Rey. I mean, if they can bring in the form that they've shown in La Liga and the belief and the high spirits that they've shown in La Liga and bring those to um, the Copa del Rey final, especially if they win El Clásico and if they win today. Um, obviously, if they win today, that's a good boost because that means they're one point away from first place. And also it means that they're facing El Clásico on a high. Real Madrid, of course, have been having their own struggles. Um, several players on the injury list and Hazard's very, still very much questionable whether he'll be able to partake in their upcoming matches or not. Sergio Ramos' situation has been up and down. Marco Asensio is totally finding his form, but looking at their team in general, they've also been struggling quite a lot. And I think right now, I think Barcelona do have the upper hand going into a Clásico. And of course, this game could very much cement that, uh, the one tonight, at, uh, which of course does kick off at nine o'clock uh, local time. And we will have commentary here on Blogonogram TV on the YouTube channel and on Twitter and Facebook on our uh, social media channels there. If you can't watch the commentary or you can't watch the game, you can always tune in to our uh, written commentary on our website on blogronogram.com where we cover the play-by-play. All of this, of course, for free for you Barcelona fans. So do tune in and um, enjoy the game with us. Um, with that out the way, um, of course, a name that I think a lot of people are really excited to see back at some point is Ansu Fati. And, and his injury, of course, has been quite – well – Strange maybe isn't the right word, but it's had quite a few setbacks, um, yeah. to put it mildly. Yeah, um, well, Enzo Fati got injured since last November, I think, or October against uh, Real Betis. And he hasn't really recovered. And I mean, it's really been, um, as you said, a lot of setbacks. People said that maybe at the beginning of February, I think at first they thought he would be back. Some people uh, said that he would be back for uh, the Champions League against uh, Paris Saint-Germain. Obviously, that did not happen. But um, right now, I think what Barcelona should really focus on is just getting him back for next season. I mean, this season is basically has been uh, Ansu Fati free. Uh, we played with him like for one or two months, I think. But after that, uh, the, the team has really find has really found his form without Ansu Fati. So. I mean, r- right now, I think Barcelona should really um, have a priority to get him back cor- uh, correctly, not just force his return, but really take it over the summer, take it slowly so he can really recover. And for those that actually uh, don't know, Ansu Fati has been in, in a situation like this. Back in 2015, he actually uh, broke his tibia and fibula of his right leg, and he was out for, from football for one whole year when he was still with uh, Barcelona in the the low, lower categories. So, I mean, that's really something that shows you that uh, Ansu Fati has been in a situation such as this, and he has really come out on top because, I mean, he came onto yeah. the first team and he brought it, he took it by storm. So, yep, so let's let's take it positively. I mean, Ansu Fati can come back, reinforce the team as a, an actual transfer. <laughs> I mean, because <laughs> the team is very different with him. And, it I is. mean, who doesn't imagine uh, uh, strikers with... Um, Dembélé and Messi and Ansu Fati. I mean, we can only dream with uh, some time <laughs> having that uh, formation. No, it would definitely be an interesting one, I think. And, and I mean, 
you brought up a good point is that he has any like when he was way younger as well shown the mental capacity to bounce back from an injury like that and obviously this time it may be a bit more of a a bit tougher of an injury than it was back then but I, I I do think that as you said I think the priority would be to just get him back at his own pace don't rush him back into this season because realistically speaking there's no real reason to rush him back this season as opposed to waiting until the offseason. Because, as you said, Barcelona have been playing well and have been finding players, well, have been using players that have very much um, sort of not replaced but made up for the lack of Ansu Fati's presence in the team. And so then when you add that to the fact that there's no Champions League football, there's only one domestic cup game, which is the final, um, and then La Liga, I th- yeah, I think I think the right thing to do definitely would be to just hold out and just wait until he's fully recovered and then getting him into play maybe in the offseason if he's lucky and if he's recovered fully. Um, anything before that, unless he's fully fit, I think would be a risk. And I, I, I don't see I, – I don't, I don't think that's one that, uh, that they'll take. But obviously, I mean, the medical staff knows best. And, and if he feels ready before the season ends and the medical staff says you're good to go, then obviously he's good to go. Um, but if they did wait until next season, I, I don't think many people would be would be opposed to that because, at the end of the day, he is still a very young player, and you would want him to be at his at the top of his game all the time. Um, even if that does mean waiting a month or two extra for recovering uh, from such a such a horrific injury. Um, so yeah, I mean it's 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 one of those things, and I would be very interested to see what our audience here thinks. So again, you can always submit your questions or opinions or thoughts down below in the live chat, and we'll deal with them as the episode goes on. So let us know what you think. Do you think that, hypothetically speaking, if we had two scenarios, which would be either rushing back so he can play before the season is over, where he would be fit, or wait until next season where he would be very much 100% fit, which one would you prefer? Um because again, I think a lot of it comes down to the medical staff's assessment, and of course, his own assessment. And and you can't argue with that. Um, but if they did wait until next season, even though he would be fit now, I would not be opposed to that personally, and I don't think many other people would. No, I mean we have to remember he's still eighteen, right? Eighteen years yeah. old. Yeah. So I mean, you still have twelve years. He has of at least career. seven years ahead of. Him. Well, I mean. Well, yeah, I mean, 10 conservatively till, till he's 28. He has 10, 12 years of career left. So, I mean, why rush it? And especially in a season such as this. Yeah, yeah. As no, I said, like, yeah. If, if he would have gone down, I don't know, um, right before the Paris Saint-Germain game and mm-hmm. the doctors would have told him, oh, you'll be ready for the second leg or whatever. And people really would have rushed him, like the Araujo situation, because I mean Araujo went down like one or two games before PSG, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, let's put Ansu Fati in that situation. Um, if people would have said, "Oh, let's rush him. We'll get back. We'll have the comeback with Ansu Fati and all that," I mean, it would have been okay. Maybe you could rush him, but at the same time, it's, it's because it's a more critical point of the of the season. As you said right now, uh, Copa del Rey is only the final. La Liga, we have a few uh, games to go. And especially now that Barcelona have or are in a very privileged situation to actually um, take a hold of Atletico and actually really put a scare on them if uh, they win today. Um, so, And they got into the situation without Ansu Fati. So 
we don't really know what the impact of Ansu would have been if he had stayed fit during uh, the mo better part of the season. So, I mean, right now, it's just plan for the future. Don't plan for the small, long-term play for the long haul. And just get your star back because at the end of the day, he, that's what he is. He's a young star. You just want to keep him for, well, basically his whole life in Barcelona if we can. So let's do that instead of just rushing him back. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Um, and I think, I, I mean, I yeah, I, I fully agree with you. I think not rushing him is is the right thing to do. And, you know, if the situation was different, then, you know, you could argue that maybe rushing him back would be something that people would advise for. But there's really no reason to rush him back at this point. Uh, you know, La Liga is La Liga. And and with the players and the, the system that Kuman has decided to deploy, um, Ansu Fati isn't really a player where you're like, okay, Barcelona absolutely need him right now simply because of the fact that there is so much quality in the roster that you can you can afford to miss a star player because you have so many stars that can make up for his absence. Although with that said, I think Ronald Koeman will have a very interesting work, uh, very will have very interesting work and thinking to do when Fatih does return because, of course, with so many names on your roster, it's going to be very difficult for him. I'd imagine he'll have a lot of headaches and maybe some sleepless, <laughs> sleepless nights trying to figure out who to put in the starting lineup. Um because it is, you know, especially Felipe Coutinho returns uh, because he's obviously also been struggling quite a lot um, with his injury. And and he's, I think, if I had to sum up his stay so far, I would say it's been unlucky. I mean, I remember the whole situation with um, when he scored against Manchester United and did the, what I like to call the Memphis celebration where he put his, his fingers up to his ears. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of fans were like, no, that's against us. And it's not against – he – I'm pretty as – far as, as far as I recall, he did go out and said that it wasn't against the fans. It was against the media because the media was constantly bashing him and putting so much pressure on him, which was true. Um, you know, and it's it's sad that a player of his quality has been subjected to, to stuff like that. And he's obviously not the only one. I mean, we've seen Usman Dembele also get a lot of uh, talk in the, in the press – when he first joined Barcelona and during his first season or two, he was very much criticized for the tiniest of things, uh, such as his dress code and what he was wearing when he was watching the game from the stands and what, you know, what kind of chicken he would buy. Like it got, it just got to a point where it's like, just, just drop it, you know, just yeah. focus on the football because that's at the end of the day, you are a sports in, in you know, a news outlet and that's your focus. Um, and, and, you know, that kind of does hurt a player uh, when it keeps happening, when it's a recurring incident. It does end up hurting the player and, and, you know, shifting their focus away from the game. And when they feel they have so much pressure going on, it's just, you know, it's not easy. And I think a lot of people I've heard have said that Coutinho, you know, a lot of people have said, oh, yeah, well, he's just not mentally strong enough, which I don't think is the – I don't think that's true at all because you're talking about a player that's played in the World Cup. He's played in – you know, he was captaining a Liverpool side that was doing quite well before he left and, you know, did even better when he left, which, you know, you can, you can, you know, make of that what you will. But they, they spent their money wisely and got players that fit Jurgen Klopp's system and what he was trying to achieve. And, and, and it worked. But I don't think it's just, I don't think it's a question of, of Coutinho being mentally weak. I think it's just a question of there is just too much pressure. When you join a team, that is your dream team, 
as we've seen with Usman Dembele, for instance. And you have that heavy price tag on you. Barcelona have done so much to get you to sign for the club and have basically, you know, gone head-to-head with, with Liverpool to get your, to, to sign you and sign you mid-season. There is a lot of pressure as it is, and then to have that hefty price tag and all these expectations um, is just a lot. And, and you know, the reason I'm bringing it up is because Coutinho is genuinely one of those players that I really hope decides to stay in Barcelona because I think he does have a lot to offer. And I've been watching him, you know, since his Liverpool days as well. Um, he's one of those players where if he does leave Barcelona and succeeds elsewhere, I will be quite sad, um, to put it mildly, because yeah. I know he has the quality to succeed. Yeah, I mean, we also have to – well, I think we talked about this um, last um, last time we were here, and we said about the whole issue around being uh, such a big tr- – well, having a, such a big transfer market. Um, if you go on to – well, if you sign for Barcelona, and what was his price tag? Um, 150? I think it was 40. I'm not too sure. Well, I think it was 40. Let's round it up to 140. I mean, let's say you arrive to a Barcelona and 140 million euro. And I mean, you don't really play as well as you've played in another in your other team. And I mean, it's a whole different league, a different system, a different, different coach. team, different manager. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's really difficult for any player. Some players really just fit in and click right away and just hit the, round, the ground running. But mm-hmm. others don't. I mean, the majority don't. They have their time. They have to take their time. But that's the issue with having um, winter signings because you expect them to have an immediate impact because that's why you actually bring them on during the winter because you need someone to have an immediate impact in that position. And, well, he also went through the whole Valverde saga. He actually left under – he arrived and left under Valverde. He went on to Bayern Munich, and he actually scored against Barcelona in that infamous 8-2. But yeah, I mean, it's really been difficult for Coutinho. And right now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed to Barcelona selling him, especially because with the formation right now, I don't see him really working out that well, especially with that mid that has really consolidated itself with Busquets, Pedri, and De Jong. The only probable substitute would be for Pedri, but if um, if Coleman actually did that, I don't know how the fans would react to Pedri, the young star that is actually taking a lot of the weight off for Coutinho, um, so and the media especially. So yeah, I mean, it would be just I don't know how Coutinho would come out winning in a situation such as that. No, that's a good point. That's a good point. I mean, yeah, I mean you with Pedri playing like he is and fitting in the way he is, you. It's hard to see anyone really replacing him, you know? Like, even if Barcelona were to bring in a, a new number 10, let's say hypothetically speaking they brought in a Bruno Fernandes, I would still be opposed to Pedri not being in the starting lineup. And I think many people would because he's fit in so well. He's playing like he genuinely has been part of La Masia, which, by the way, yep. he hasn't. Um, you know, he's playing like he's been at, in Barcelona all his life, and it's – it's it's beautiful to see a player fit in like that. And as you said, it, it's really different from player to player. Griezmann, it took him quite a while to fit in. Dembele, the same thing. Neymar, it took him around a season. And people were calling him a flop throughout his entire first season. right? And he was he came in from the Brazilian league and has then gone on to become one of the best players in the world. Suarez. Right? So Suarez as well. Took him a long time. And he came from Liverpool too. 
I think the thing with Suarez, though, and the reason he's been a bit lucky is because he had a manager that understood him and could cater to him, Messi, and Neymar, and, and, and that's pretty much it. I mean, of course, Luis Enrique did cater to the midfield and the defense, but the main objective was get the attack to work and function. And if you have that functioning and you have a good midfield that knows how to play together and a solid defense, that's it. Like, it wasn't that intricate compared no. to now. No, I mean, also, let's take into consideration that Luis Enrique still had Xavi, Iniesta, and Busquets. Yeah. Maybe not That's in their true. prime, but they he still They still them. are Xavi, Iniesta, and Busquets. <laughs> yeah. So, and then you had uh, Neymar, Messi, and Suarez. And I do remember that that first season under Luis Enrique, Barcelona really thrived in the counterattack, something that I had never seen before, I think. I, yeah, it was very, it, was, it felt very weird. Yeah. Because it was just these quick, direct counterattacks, and, and they worked. Yeah, it was basically um, Messi pass it to Neymar or Suarez, the other one to the other one, and then Messi, and then Messi would either take a shot or just give a pass to either two, and they would decide, they would just finish up. I'm not gonna lie, it, it really does feel nice to just reminisce and just you know look back at it because it really was an era in itself. I think for many people, at least, like it was a time period where Barcelona really were on top in in, in at least in some aspects. I mean, you could, you could. I, I think a lot of people would very much argue that that is the greatest trio, if not one of, at least one of the greatest uh, tridents to exist in football history. Um, you know, and 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 as you said, that definitely plays a role when you have uh, that type of midfield supporting, and you have that type of supporting cast. You have a defense that was very much solid as well. Um, whereas for Coutinho, he played under a manager that thought that left wing would be his best position. Fair enough. That's his assessment. Turns out it wasn't, though, um, and, and he couldn't thrive in, in the wing. When he got to play in that half space or operate more centrally and didn't run into Messi, that's when he thrived. Um, you know, like when he scored that hat-trick against Levante. And, yeah. and, you know, looking at some of those games and looking at that, like I still do believe that, that he has a spot in this team. Although I, w I do agree it's it's hard to find out where that would be unless unless you'd have a midfield of De Jong, Pedri, and Coutinho. That maybe could work. De Jong as the, in the Busquets role, Pedri as the somewhat box-to-box -box type of midfielder, and then Coutinho playing behind two strikers. Um, also could be, at least for me, I would like to see that at least once um, just to see how that would work out. Yep. I mean, we also... Well, some could argue that the young would actually lose some of his flair if he just played no, in that more defensive midfield kind of position. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that is one of the reasons why I personally don't think his best position is in the three-man back line because he has that explosiveness going forward. And, and, and that, especially because, I, I, I don't know if it's because he hasn't done it too often yet, but it catches the defenses and midfields off guard every time. Yep. And he he almost always just ends up in their in their side of the pitch or in their box, yeah. Uh, because it's just unexpected, and and as you said, it would be limiting it to to playing him further back would be limiting that potential. Yeah, because I mean, if you play him in that, well, if you give him that role, you couldn't actually expect Pedri or or Coutinho in this hypothetical situation to be that defensive mid because neither of them are really that defensive. Well, Pedri runs uh, along the whole pitch and he recovers every ball that he can but he isn't that player that can actually use his physique to get yeah. to get um a ball back 
Yeah, and, and Coutinho has never really been a defensively minded midfielder. I mean, he can yeah. track back, but it's never really been one of the things that he's good that he does. Um, you know, and and that's a thing as well. And I know that's an argument that a lot of people will throw is that it is similar to what some people say about Messi, which is that he doesn't track back too often. He's recently he's been tracking back quite a lot, um, but a lot of people's argument back before Coutinho went on loan to Bayern was that if you want to play Coutinho and Messi, you're going to need players that not only pull their own weight, but pull the defensive weight of Coutinho and Messi and make up for them not running uh, and tracking back. And that that was a problem. I, I genuinely do believe that with the right system in place, I do think that Coutinho can thrive alongside other prominent names in the team. But I also do think that it is a difficult thing to achieve in itself. Um, but again, I think it would be very interesting to see. Yeah. Well, I mean, as you said, uh, Gwimmer will have a few headaches to decide. But <laughs> then again, it's good to have those kind of headaches and not oh, the yeah. kind of headaches that I don't have any players to play or I don't know who to play because they're all terrible or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, it's better it's to a have a positive kind of headache. Yeah. yeah, no, it is. Uh, let's see some of the comments here uh, from Hiyo Bro ERSMA. Sorry if I butchered your name there. Uh, he says, if we do decide to sell, how much do you think we should be aiming to sell Coutinho? That is very difficult to say, to be honest, at least for me. I'm, I, don't, I don't know. Because, again, the market has had this inflation that we talked about last uh, episode, um, which will soon be on Spotify and, and Google Podcasts and whatnot. It was, uh, we got a bit delayed due to some technical difficulties, but it will be on there soon. And if you're if you've missed out on the majority of this episode, that will also be on there. So don't worry if you want to catch uh, what we said uh, in this episode or in the previous one uh, where we did have a lot of questions, actually. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I don't know um, how much you should be. I think it really depends on which league he goes to as well, um, well and what I, type of team he goes to. I just looked up really quickly in transfer market and they have him at 40 million. Um Let's be honest. I mean, every single team in the world right now is hurting because of the COVID situation. Um, no fans have gone into the stadiums. A lot of merchandise yeah. has not been sell well has not been sold. Um, so let's be honest. What team in the world can right now say, "Oh, sure, we'll pay forty million for Coutinho that has actually played this season, has been injured, and inconsistent to say the least at Barcelona"? So I don't see it happening. Uh, 25, 30, maybe for a Premier League. The thing with that then is even then, um, I, I don't think he nor 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 Barca would want to sell him for that, that no. amount. Like that's way too low. Uh, you know, at that point, since you've already paid for him and he, he's willing to stay and he really wants to prove himself, might as well just give him a shot. And quite honestly, I do think that he'll end up staying. I don't see him leaving. I really don't. Because as you said, he hasn't really been performing this season because he hasn't been playing this season. Although in my eyes, when he first started playing this season after he returned from Bayern, he genuinely, to me, looked like one of the most consistent players on the team until he got injured. And then it all went, you know, he hasn't played since then. Um, but, you know, I, I, I don't think, I don't, I don't see him leaving. I really don't. Um, although I would be, I, I mean, again, it really does, Beg the question: Where would he fit in? Because he's not a holding midfielder. That's not his natural position. He's more of an attacking 
player, more of a, an attacking midfielder slash second striker. Um, and and he just doesn't work as a winger in La Liga. You can't have a player that's not because he doesn't. You know, he's not one of he's not a player that you would define as quick. No. You know, um, Dembele is quick. Fatih is quick. Iñaki Williams quick. Oyarzabal, um, quick, you know, but you do. I mean, I mean, even Benzema, I guess you could call he, he's a bit fast, but I wouldn't say Coutinho has that type of pace. No, no, to I keep mean, up with La Liga defenders. No, definitely on the wing, he wouldn't. He, well, I seen, I mean, we've seen him not thrive in that situation because, um, left back, right back, whatever, whoever is covering him are just quicker. They're simply quicker to the ball. They have uh, quicker instincts or they just anticipate what he's going to do in that open space. And they can actually catch up. If he has the advantage, still catch up. Because, yeah. I mean, uh, the, Liga are actually, the Liga players are pacey. Yeah, so, they are. They are. Uh, yeah, Coutinho has really much... Well, I, I was thinking of somewhat of a player to actually compare him to. I think one of the players I could actually compare him to would be like uh, Iker Muniain of Athletic Bilbao. He's not that quick. He's small. Um, he's really, really. He can really dribble well in small spaces. He can actually hit it out of the box. But I mean, that would be like the closest thing. And Athletic Bilbao play with a four-four-two, and he's actually a winger in that formation. But he tends to go into the center. Yeah, but he's I mean, more of a free roamer. Uh, yeah, but when you have Messi in your team, you can't actually you can't tell him, oh, you're not going to free roam. Just stick to this plan and let Coutinho do whatever you want. I mean, yeah. you, you can't do that. Let's be real. No, that's yeah, like that's that's also. But then again, when you look at how you know people have been saying the same thing about Antoine Griezmann, and he's slowly fitting in and finding his role. But then again, doing that with one player is easier than doing it with two, right? So if you have two people. Two different players that have to not get into the way of each other and not get in the way of Messi, and Messi has to not get in the way of them. It just complicates yeah, everything. Too complex. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Um, you know, it's just I, I just genuinely still feel like if he does leave, I will he will be leaving. You know, it'll leave a bad taste in my mouth because I will definitely feel like he could have succeeded. Yeah. How I'm not sure, but I, I do think that he could have succeeded. Well, the only way I can see him actually like fitting in, it would be some sort of a free roamer, like you said, with like Griezmann has done, but without well taking Griezmann out of the equation, obviously, yeah. or just keeping him in, would be like in that formation. That's four, two, three, one. Maybe yeah. Messi on the right wing, uh, Dembélé or Fatih on the other wing, Coutinho behind uh, nine. That would be maybe Griezmann, but then you would have like. Three players that would like to play um, behind a forward. You'll just not have a number nine. No, no, it's, <laughs> it'll just, just be free roaming. Yeah, I mean, and that was actually um, one of the. No, that's that's what I've. Yeah, that's that's the same proposal I would make because no, wait, go on, go on. Look, look, I'm, I want to hear you out first. <laughs> yeah, no, that was actually one of the things that I saw at the beginning of the season. Um, you had Griezmann that likes to go back to receive the ball. Um, not as a forward nine, but more of a number 10. And then also you had Messi that also dropped back. And you also had Coutinho that dropped back. So all of a sudden you saw in the uh, few Barcelona games that you had no number nine. You just had three or four because Pedri had also just arrived and he also liked to play more of a 10 role at the beginning. So you all of a sudden, you all of a sudden had four players that liked to pay, play the number 10 role. 
And no number nine or no forward players, just Dembele sometimes up there, just like all alone. <laughs> but it was really difficult at the beginning. And I think that's some of the things that actually people don't see him playing again for Barcelona. But as you said, if he leaves, it'd just be sad because he came on as one of the biggest names for, well, the biggest transfer for Barcelona history and just leave for, well, 100 million less the deficit for Barcelona would also be just yeah sad. and that's the thing like I I mean I am going to support him until the very end and I'm going to support him even if he leaves I'm going to support obviously after he leaves because I genuinely do think that he's a quality player and has a lot to offer um I do think he'll stay but I think that really depends on his recovery I think that I mean if he takes another five months to recover then obviously that's different but if he takes a month to recover and gets a few games in towards the end of the season and, and does show promising signs, then I could see him staying. Because, again, I don't think Barcelona would like to – would be, you know, open to selling him for a very low price, and I don't think he'd like that either. Yep. Um, let's also remember that, actually, uh, last preseason, Koeman actually called him up and told him that he was in his plans, that yeah. he was a player that he had taken into consideration. But, I mean, also, let's remember um, – if he he did stay but couldn't play for Barcelona, maybe another loan would be good for him. But then yeah. again, a loan to where? Maybe to a potential buyer. Um, Which yeah. I think is I, – I feel like that maybe was what was expected with Bayern, at least in some aspect of it, was that he would go there and then they would buy him. Um, obviously, that didn't happen. Uh, and he and he returned, but I mean I, I I mean I don't know I just you know for me it's a situation where I, I genuinely do feel like he can succeed, and I think he can succeed under under Ronald Koeman as things are. I do believe that that is possible. I think it does take a lot of tinkering in the lineup and in the system, and obviously you know Koeman and his side are still trying to find the system that fully works. Um, and as we see, he's still experimenting, he's still trying out new things, which is really really nice to see. You know, given these, given the youngsters that maybe would not have had a chance, you know, just a season ago, giving them a shot and, and a fair shot at that as well. And we've seen a lot of good things come from it. Oscar Mingueza has really come to the fore. Ronald Araujo, Sergio Dest, of course, signed from Ajax. Um, he likes you know, Firpo. Firpo is being introduced to the team again, which I personally really like. And he's done well uh, whenever he's played. And I mean, you know, it's it's. I think it's going to be very interesting to see where this goes, but I definitely think that this season is going to be a very interesting one, and I think next season will be even more interesting once Kuman has had his say in any potential transfers, um, and 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 you know what that team will look like after the transfer window is is you know is closed shut. So, I think that's going to be a very interesting thing to to look at, and you know who knows maybe maybe Coutinho will stay. We'll have to see. I mean, to see. We can talk about it all we want here, but at the end of the day, he could stay, he could leave, whatever, but we'll see in the future. I mean, that's that's it yeah. at the end of the day. He'll, he'll have his say, Goodman will have his say, and also the board with La Portana will have their say. No, for sure, for sure. Um, and with that, I think we have had our say. Uh, we're close to approaching the 40-minute mark, and I think that is a good time to... And this episode, this has been episode 13 of season two of the Driven Shy podcast. 
It's been aired on Blogonogram TV and Blogonogram social media channels, Twitter and Facebook. If you missed out on the majority of this episode, or if you just like to, you know, listen back while you work, uh, you can do that. It will be on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Uh, this episode and the previous episode that we made will both be on there very, very soon. Um, as always, if you did enjoy this, do drop us a like, follow us if you don't already, or subscribe, depending on the relevant channel you're on. If you're listening through a podcast streaming platform, do drop us a rating or follow us on there. Um, and uh, your support and your attention is much appreciated. So thank you very much for tuning in. Um, Joao, do you have any last words before we uh, head off? No, just hope that everyone is keeping safe right now with this situation. And well, as you always say, keep safe and sane. Yeah, stay safe, <laughs> sane, and well. <laughs> yeah, that's all from me. Awesome. Uh, and yeah, stay safe, sane, and well. We hope you're uh, you're all, you know, staying indoors as much as you can and, and taking your precautions and and keeping an eye out. So with that, we'll see you next week. Thank you very much for tuning in. And roll that outro. My name is Phil Shane, and you've been listening to The Driven Shot, hosted by Omar Hawash in the Blaugranogram News Outlet. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you have a wonderful day, and hopefully we'll see you again soon.